Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Family, uh, I'm quite excited about teaching in the book of Esther simply because it doesn't mention God in the entire book. And there are times when it really reflects how we live today. And I think it's imperative that we come into a book like this and try and see the unseen God. And let me tell you why. First off, I I worry for our church. You know, again, I I don't have to worry about the American evangelical church. That's that's above my pay grade. But I'm concerned about our church in light of COVID. It has fractured, divided church like I have never experienced in my lifetime. To know that each and every Sunday we see approximately 45 to 47% of church. Many of you watching by, by Facebook Live. And what a privilege it is to know afterwards that you connected with us. But I miss the camaraderie that we share in Christ. All right? It's, it's tough, isn't it, at times? And... There are times in my own arrogance that I'll go, well, I don't need this. But then I come across verses like Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11.1. He says, act like me, imitate me, even as I imitate Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, you realize how important we are to one another. We glean from one another. We, We have firmer backbones because we see one another. We know how we've gone through trials in life. We know how we've, we've, we've stood the test. And at other times, we know that in our weakness, we need a word of prayer together. And COVID's been devastating. I will suggest to you right now that when we finally are able to burn all these masks, when whatever declaration it is that this is all over, I believe you'll see about 85% of the church back. 15% will have, have gone somewhere. Some will have passed away, and we didn't even know that they passed. Some will have gone on to a new church because their loyalty was broke. Some, some will have just stepped out of church, never to return. And you and I didn't even know that they were struggling spiritually, and now they're expected to be back, and they're not here. And so, family, that's a huge concern of mine, and, and I, I expressed it to our elders meeting this last week, and I told them that COVID recovery is going to be one of our hardest assignments that we've ever experienced. And I would want you to begin praying about that right now because this will not be an easy task. Remove the dynamic of the expectation of brotherly family connection 
on a weekly basis, it will be a hard discipline to return into our lives. I really am concerned for our children. Moms and dads, drop the passion. Drop the discipline. And you forget how powerfully impacting that is in the lives of your children. And when you become an old fossil, you really sense that's imperative. And you recognize that the gospel of Jesus Christ is really only a few years from ever disappearing. Because God doesn't have grandchildren. He has children. And each generation must share the good news of Jesus Christ to the next generation so that the, the love of Christ carries on. So, as fearful as I am of church, I want you to understand that there's even something that frightens me more. I grieve for the loss of the confidence many of our church family have in God. We are looking for God in our elections. Oh, if it only went the other way. Oh, if we get this candidate. This will all get fixed. And we put all our hope in that. We've put all our hope in the God of the pandemic. And we're all in one level of frustration or not. We put God and we wonder where he is when disasters strike and he doesn't give us the answer that we really like. Well, hoping to find God acting in the way that we can see him, in fairness, we've all become glum and despondent. But many are asking themselves, where is God? You know, let me share with you some bad news first. If you're looking for the God that allowed you to worship and run to a restaurant after church, then home for a nap, a football game, or other activity, you'll not find that God again. And shame on you for looking for that kind of God. If you're looking for a God who provides social justice, who feeds the poor, who, who allows you to text your funds to some social cause and allow you to feel satisfied that you've done sufficient, you're looking for the wrong God. But here's what we need to have. We need to have a confidence in a God who loved us through Jesus Christ. That God can be ours. A God who ties our love to Him by our obedience. A God that, that looks out and, and asks us to love one another in a profoundly loyal way. We look for that God who says He'll never leave us or forsake us. So as we begin the book of Esther, you need to write somewhere 
The unseen God is not the inactive God. All right? You don't see him. But that doesn't mean he's not around and not fully active. And I'm hoping that as we study the book of Esther, uh, Esther will teach us that the unseen God is the providential God whose authority is first. Family, let me warn you. The, the message of Esther is about this long. To get there is going to be a long time. All right? So you need to hear me out. In order for us to get to the book of Esther, we have to first look at the unseen God. So as we've called this the unseen king, he is more than just a king, more than just a, a, an authority. He is the very God of God's. And too many times we miss the hand of God. And we have forgotten that God is the God of now. He is the God of right now. Family, 2,000 years ago, in Genesis chapter 16, a woman who we read in the Bible called a handmaiden. She is Sarah's servant. Sarah looked to, to Abraham and said, Abram, I can't have kids. I'm going to give you my slave girl, Hagar. Have intimacy. Have sex with her. If she gets pregnant, that child will be my child. Hagar never voted for that. Hagar never asked if that would be okay. Hagar never looked down and said, I love you, Abram. Would never never asked of her, it was assigned to her. Well, Hagar gets pregnant. All of a sudden, Sarah is jealous, frustrated, and bitter that she couldn't be the pregnant one and began to mistreat Hagar. Hagar runs away. And in a desperate moment of needing to see God, Hagar is dying. And in Genesis 16, 24, listen to the excitement, listen to the joy as she says, as she sees God for the first time. She says, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. And one of the coolest names for God, one of the, one of the most exciting names for God that you'll ever know is El Royi, the God who sees me. The God who sees me. Now you see, here's your problem. You read that, and it occurred in 2000 B.C. So you read it as ancient history. Hagar saw God now. That was moment in time for her. That was point in time for her. She needed to know God exists, and God is in her life now. Family, Nearly 70 years ago, Corey Tenboom and her entire family had an effort to try to steal, to grab Jews and help them escape from the Nazi regime. 
They hid them in the walls of the house. 80-year-old father is arrested. He dies. Corey and Betsy are taken to the Ravensbrook concentration camp, and they are treated as if they were any other that we would have put into a concentration camp. Betsy and she begin to minister, have church service, and see a number come to Jesus Christ. And in the, the midst of this, Betsy, who will die in just a few weeks, says this to Corey. She says, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. She knew that God saw her. Family, 12 days after Betsy dies, a clerical error is made in Ravensbrook concentration camp that says that Corey should be released. She's let go. And within just a short time, every woman in Ravensbrook concentration camp is sent to the gas chambers. Corey would go on to share Jesus Christ throughout Europe. As she ties in later with Billy Graham, you, you know the hiding place became a movie. The hiding place lifted her up to some world uh, prestige within the Christian community. But it all comes because God was watching. God is in the now. And you and I have to remember that when we read something of God's work, we look down and we see, oh, this is ancient history. It wasn't when Hagar needed God. He was the God of the now. When Corey and Betsy would take their, their needs to the Lord in prayer, He was the God of the now. And He supplies, and He takes care, and He watches over. You see, not only is He God of the now, this unseen God, this unseen King, is the self-governing God. And I want you to, again, there's so many moments that you need to, to jot down, or at least to remember, God is running this universe to please Himself, not to you and to me. We are the creatures. He's the Creator. We need to keep this in thought. The only freedom of speech that you and I have is the freedom of speech which He gives us. And debate freedom of speech for a minute will look up how He treated Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. He shut him up for a good long time. Family, Nebuchadnezzar is the greatest power that exists on this planet in 600 B.C. There is no leader on this planet greater, more powerful than he. Daniel walks into his room, and those of you who have, have read the book of Daniel recognize the, the intimate relationship between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and, and before anyone can interpret it, Daniel walks into the room, and he says, oh, oh, king, king, please pay attention. If you don't stop being arrogant, 
If you don't stop the, the thought process that you are the greatest thing on this planet, God's going to give you the mind of a cow. Read the chapter, chapter 4. You're going to act like a cow. You're going to live on all fours. You're not going to act like a human for seven years. Please humble yourselves before God. And a man used to that kind of power and authority did not humble himself before the Almighty God. And he became the cow that God told him would happen. Family, out of that moment in time, in Daniel chapter 4.35, he comes out of this seven-year period of time and, and listen to Nebuchadnezzar. The king of the entire planet now says this, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? No human has the right to point their finger at God and say, what have you done? And he realizes that. God does not have to make a report to anyone concerning his conduct. God is running this universe, and he rules by his providence. And family, I can't help but appreciate verse 4 because there is no one higher on this world at this moment in time for Nebuchadnezzar to say, oh wow, who could ever question you? Who could ever question you? But I want you to understand, on one level, God's not to be questioned. On, on one level, you don't look down and say, who do you think you are? But on the other level, He loves you and I intimately. And that parallel track of His authority and His love for you is really amazing. Jesus says this in, in Matthew. He says, and, and, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Now, Hear the passage of Scripture. Jesus never said, hey, life's going to be easy for you. Don't worry. You're my kid. I care more for you. He never said that. He looked down and he recognized life, life's going to get difficult. Life could get hard. He said, wait a second. Don't be afraid of anybody who can kill you. Don't let that be a, don't let that be a fear at all. He says, rather, fear the one who can not only kill you, but assign you an eternity in hell because you never repented, you never walked with me. So he never said life is going to be easy. Life's going to be something that is more than manageable. What he did say is, 
if I know what happens to two sparrows that die at the hunter's hand, and if I know by my omniscience how many hairs exist on your head in the time frame, whether you're young or old, when it's easier to count, if I know your hairs and I care about sparrows, you are intimately and infinitely more important to me. I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry. Don't worry. And on this wonderful parallel track, God is absolutely sovereign. God's going to do what God does. And from creation to this moment in time, as we wear masks and we declare the pandemic of COVID, understand God has not missed one moment in world history. God has shaped every incident that has occurred. God has brought every one of them to an end. God in His wonderful sovereignty will bring it to an end in a way that will match His wonderful perspective of created history. And all along the way, He will have watched over and been with you intimately. In our U.S. history, we have the French and American War, or the French and Indian War. The French and the Indian War saw a great leader begin to develop there. A guy you might know by the name of George Washington. George Washington was fighting as leader of the British troops at that time. I don't know if you, you know his history, but in that moment of time, in that battle, in one particular event, George Washington took five bullets through his clothing. Four through his clothing itself and one through his hat. He had two horses in that same battle shot out from underneath him. That man would then go on and lead the Revolutionary War and defeat the very British that he was serving, the mightiest army on the planet at the time. He would then go on and serve as the first president that we had for eight years. Do you not believe for a moment that God wasn't watching over General George Washington and five bullets one missing his dome by inches wasn't the mark and the hand of a providential God. He laid the foundation of the United States. He was offered the, the chance to be our king. And he says, no, we got rid of one of those already. We don't need another one. Family, let me take you into 1955. In 1955, five American missionaries who loved Jesus Christ more than their next breath, wanted to share Christ to a group of Indians. Those men began a months-long campaign of trying to show their love. Using their airplane, they would drop gifts. The day came that they now were going to land their float plane there along a tributary of the Amazon River, go in to the jungle and meet this tribe for the very first time. In fear, the tribe decimated all five of those missionaries. You know the stories of Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, and the other three. Family, within a short period of time, now the tribe knows Jesus Christ. 
in a short period of time, men and women, historically our own John Champ, decided, I want to go and replace those five missionaries. And that thought process was such that thousands of men and women went into the mission. You see, the God who loves us, who says, I know how many hairs you have on your head. I know your importance and your value. I know when two sparrows die incidentally, accidentally in the middle of the woods. I know them. God needed George Washington to fulfill what George Washington accomplished. God allowed five men who loved him dearly to leave their families without husbands. And in the tragedy, see revival that occurred both in the evangelical churches of America and the jungles of Brazil. And so you and I have to understand that we, we here today are before us a self-governing God. And before you and I ever enter a book that never mentions His name, it's vital that you and I know who it is we're addressing. You see, God is the God of now. He was there with Nate Saint the moment the spear arrived at the moment of his life's end. He was there with George Washington. He was there with Hagar. So, as we spend just a few minutes of time this morning with the book of Esther, I want to remind you, you don't see God. But as the old commentator Matthew Henry would say, the finger of God is pointing in the direction of Esther and many minute events are bringing about His people's deliverance. And so ultimately we're going to read a story of how God protected and watched over the nation of Israel. And I want you to understand, that's the, the big picture that the book of Esther is about. But where I'm going to take you this morning is to remind you that there, there are other things that, that God's involved in that you and I may know nothing about. So let's start and make the briefest effort to scratch open the book this morning. And we're going to read Esther chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Very historical, not very spiritual. But I'm hoping that we finish today, you'll see the unseen God. He says this, Now in the days of Azuerus, the Azuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces. In those days, when King Azuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel or the capital, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and the governors of the provinces were before him. While he showed his riches of his royal glory and the splendor and the pomp of his greatness for many days. Notice, 180 days. Half a year, six months, 
of party. I want you to, I want you to get the impression of what a big man Asuerus thinks of himself. So first off, I want you to see the map of the Persian Empire. I told you that Nebuchadnezzar was the largest or the greatest king in that moment of time, 600 B.C. We're now looking just 70 years later. And I want you to see now the Persians have taken over. The Persian Empire goes from mid-India to north of Greece, today's modern Macedonia. We see him in Libya and all the way down to Ethiopia. He is now the greatest empire builder that we will have until the Romans almost 700 years later. This is a big man. I want you to take note that this party that he's having is done in the third year of his reign. All right? So the book doesn't start with the beginning of his reign. It starts in three years later. Well, what's been happening? You need to know in order to appreciate what we're doing and who we're talking about and how the story develops. So I want you to see, I'm hoping I can express this timeline. In the yellow, the dead center, Asuerus is also, in history, Xerxes I, the greatest of the Persian kings. I want you to see in the green, these are all the reference points that we'll be looking at eventually in the book of Esther. We see in Esther's 1, 1 through 3 already, the military banquet is planning a war in Greece. But why did they wait three years? I want you to take note, if you come down to the white, you'll see here in the middle, in 484, he had to reconquest the nation of Egypt. And in 482, he, Babylon rebels, and he has to recapture this. He has to shore up his own empire first. Now, that's all real important, because what I want you to see is, I want you to see the, the perceived might of Asuerus. All right? Asuerus thinks he's a big deal. When you read the book of Esther, you're going to read that he got played over and over and over again. And you're going to really learn that the characters in My Big Fat Greek Wedding were correct. Do you remember when the wife looked to all of the other wives and her bride, her daughter, who is about ready to get married, and she says, the husband might be the head of the family, but I'm the neck that turns the head. Remember? You're going to see that over and over again in the book of Esther. So this big man who can stand up to big men can't stand up to little bitty women. All right? He is going to declare himself, I am the greatest. And he will especially prove that to be true. We don't get a chance to see it, but in history, he destroys the country of Babylon. You know, again, Cyrus in the book of Daniel comes and he destroys, he destroys Babylon in Daniel chapter 5. In Daniel chapter 5, Cyrus comes in. 
Well, one of the things that Cyrus is really known for, family, is he wanted to get along. So the idea is simply something like this. You know, Jeff's a pretty big guy. If I don't bother Jeff, I probably could make a deal with you, all right? I own your house. You live there rent-free, no problem. I live your house. You're going to pay taxes to me, but I'm, going to, I'm not going to bother you. You enjoy life as much as you want to. And if I make it pleasing enough, Jeff's going to look over and okay, don't bother me. I'll do that. Cyrus put his whole empire together through military might, but with deals. He honored those he conquered. One of the ways to honor them was the Babylonians had a temple to Marduk, their number one god. And all of their, their life calendar is based on loyalty to Marduk. So Cyrus comes in and honors that, at which case they base all of their calendar, their crop plantings, their harvestings, their celebrations, all on this calendar. Xerxes comes in and says, forget it. And he burned it down. Because he wanted to show everyone he's the toughest. He's the man. And we now have a party going on, this six-month party. And what it's doing is, his goal is to tell the world, nobody can stand with me. Nobody can stand with me. You see what I did to the Babylonians? And the Babylonians are sitting there in the back row. And his whole goal is to show them, I'm the toughest. We're going to go take Greece. I want you to pay attention because I'm that powerful. So you hear someone bragging. He says he has a feast, and our text of Scripture says feast. Family, the word here is kegger. All right? It's a drinking party. And you'll see next week as we talk more about that. This is, this is going to be the number one thing on the, on the diet, on the plate. There may have been some cheese, guys, but there was a lot of wine. We'll see that. So he is here bragging about his monstrous authority. I want you to take note and be reminded that they're going to leave here and some of the greatest um, historical events. Some of you know King Leonidas of Sparta stopped the Persians just two years later in the pass at Theopolis. Thermopolis. There, 300 Spartans stop 100 to 150,000 Persians, and they leave 20,000 Persians dead before they are all killed and the Persian army continues on. It is one of the greatest losing victories that we have in history. Well, forgive me. Vashti, we'll see next week, is gone. And he comes home and he says, I want to talk to somebody. Because he's been whipped. And he now comes home. God has marvelously set the stage. First, to set aside Vashti. Then, to uplift Esther. By what you don't read in the pages of Scripture. But I want you to understand, there's an unseen God at work. And God setting the stage for His own wonderful care 
of His people. And family, I want you to to recognize as as we see this morning that out of of our book of Esther, as we, we set the stage in this third year party, there are some incredible lessons. And I want you to notice the first lesson. You see God when you look. Do you see God is nowhere? Or do you see God is now here? Chuck Swindoll would say it this way. When I read Esther, I see God in the invisible ink. Family, just like you're in my lives, God is not screaming, here I am, here I am. In fairness, by faith we see Him. By faith I hear from Him. He may have been invisible, but His impact is profound. I want you to see lesson two. God is always intimately involved. And the reason I tell you that is this. We will get back and we will get to the very middle of the book. And for the very first time, you're going to get the idea that maybe Mordecai is encouraging Esther to do something and pray about her actions. Because she declares a fast. You, you and I have never seen a fast done in Scripture without prayer being a part of it, even though she never mentions the word prayer. That doesn't occur That doesn't occur for nine more years. But my point being is this. God has set aside Vashti. God has exalted Esther long before Haman steps on the scene to cause trouble. You see, the providential God is already working out His solutions before you and I even know there's trouble to pray for before you and I ever are aware that there's something that needs us and demands us to be concerned or go to our knees, God's been working. And God is always, always intimately involved. So it doesn't come as a surprise when you go to Him and say, Lord, my wife's in in the hospital. Lord, I'm having trouble financing this next project that I want. Lord, I can't get along. God's already been through and He's already been involved. He hasn't missed a thing. Family, I want you to... The third is personal to you. Be convinced God is at work. In fairness, the first two that I told you, (laughs) they're not lessons to learn their truths, whether you learn them or not. God is here. God is intimately involved. This is the third one, and I want to suggest to you, be convinced God is at work. The only one that you really have to learn yourself right now. So James could say, in James 1, verse 6, but let him ask in faith, without, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, 
that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not observe or suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So family, when you and I recognize the need to pray, when you and I recognize the need of God's help, knowing that He is here, knowing that He's already active, you and I need to have trust and faith that He's going to continue to work because He really always and already has. I want to leave you one last one. The visual event may not be the important event. In other words, the one that you see, the event that ends up making it in the history books, may not be the important event. By the time Esther's done, I want to assure you, Haman has come in and out of history, and we have no documented existence of Haman. Esther has come in and out of world history, and unless she's Amenatris, one of the wives that we do read about, we're not certain, Esther has come in and out of world history, and we will not remember her presence. Mordecai has come in and out of world history, and there's no documented proof. We have some speculation that there was a Mordecai. And so some will say, well, he didn't exist. Well, we have some flavors, but we have no existence. Vashti, in fairness, will come in and out of world history, and if she is the wife of the, excuse me, the mother of the next king, we have evidence that Vashti was that principal lady. So what do we have? Well, we have the fact that Xerxes rose to power by stopping the Egyptians, by, by stopping the Babylonians, by heading off and trying to attack the Greek army. We have his statements in Daniel chapter 11 that the fourth ruler is going to be the most mighty. We have all of those. But the very point of the book of Esther, the very reminder that the unseen God is using this ad adopted queen to accomplish his will has nothing to do with the military might of King Xerxes, which is the only events that have made it into world history. But we do have the protection of the Messianic line that gave us Jesus Christ. We do have the protection of the nation of Israel fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant that he promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. And what God considers the most important disappears from world history and we know nothing about it. Save the book of Esther. But without the book of Esther, you would never be able to know the finger of God as he fulfills his promises to King David and to Abraham earlier. You see, the visual event may not be the important event. I've, I've told you before, I, I, I use my own son as an example routinely. And I hope it doesn't get, forgive me, boring for you, or he always pulls this off. But again, when I was in seminary, I lost my son. Well, I want you to understand, that was the visual event. 
That was, that was, the, big, that was the big event. I, I, we went through the pain of that. Uh, it was an incredible trial. Um, it, many tears, many heartaches. And yet at the same time, I want you to understand, through it all, God molded us. Through it all, God was taking us in a different direction. Through it all, God was giving us a, a strength to remind us that He doesn't leave us. He's here in the, the biggest hurts of our lives. He's here with us when, when we think that we're at the end of our rope and there's nowhere else to go. And I want you to understand the very lessons of faith that I desperately needed as a pastor were given to me because I lost my son. The, the, the confidence that I could go into a hospital and, and know that I'm going to meet a doctor who doesn't want to talk to me, a nurse who doesn't care, I, I, I don't care because I'd already been there. You see, the visual event for me wasn't necessarily the important event that God was teaching and preparing for me. He was using this event to teach Pete and Kathy how to be better servants of God. And that became the important event. God may be working in your life through a stupid mask. God may be using something in your life that the pandemic or the frustrations of our time or the trial that you're personally going through right now in such a way that He will create an important application that is down the road that you know nothing about. So family, as we begin our study in the book of Esther today, please remember, keep your eyes open and see the unseen God. Father in heaven, I'd ask that you'd watch over. Dear God, I know that in, in fairness, the, the message today is designed for believers in the room. And dear God, I would ask that, that you would be with the believers as we've gathered and, and examined Scripture this morning. Dear God, may, may the point be that you're still at work. And dear God, may that impact us in such a way that as moms and dads, it makes us want to discipline our lives more so that our children will see Jesus Christ. What benefit would it be to live an entire life here and enter an eternity in heaven and know that we've made no effort to take our children along with us? Father in heaven, be with us as seniors who, who recognize that with COVID, boy, this is not the senior years that I had signed up for. Dear God, help us recognize that you allow moments in time I'm certain the men and women who went through World War II didn't look down and say, wow, those were the senior years I signed up for. Father, that, that went through the Great Depression didn't say, boy, that's what I signed up for. So dear God, we recognize that there have been moments in time that, that you changed the paradigm. But dear God in heaven, in changing the paradigm, you didn't go on vacation. Please allow us to dig in, knowing that in bad times, you really are more evident. So dear God, may we glean your, your truth, your presence, the awareness of you even more richly, because dear God, the times which hurt us, allow us to see a connection with you that's more empty 
imminent and precious and wonderful. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd watch over. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.